Have you noticed how the Christmas season never seems to be peaceful? I mean, we run from one thing to another, from one house to another. We run from one event. Um, Maybe you run from store to store, and then you're praying and hoping that if you order on Amazon, it'll get there fast enough because you know no store carries what you want. During the season, our wallets take a hit. On and on the list goes, right? We are busy. We're rushed. We're in a hurry. But it's the season of peace and rest. But often we don't feel peace or rest. Um, Do you ever find yourself losing your mind just a little bit during these days where you just feel rushed and hurried and just concerned about what's going on? And so there's a particular scene from a particular movie that I always think about. Not just this scene. There's actually lots of scenes in this movie um, that I think about during this Christmas season. But we're going to watch this scene from the movie Jingle All the Way. The Tillman dolls, they're all gone. No, no, there's got to be another one here somewhere. There are none here. Oh, excuse me. Yes? I'm trying to find a Tillman doll. Me too, me too. Do you have any more in the back? <laughs> what? Is she laughing? <laughs> <laughs> these, these guys are looking for a uh, turbo man? A gentleman dog, <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're looking for turbo man. <laughs> hey, everybody, these two are looking for a turbo man. Gentleman. <laughs> now, what's so funny? Where have you guys been? Turbo Man's only the hottest selling Christmas toy ever. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? We got plenty of Turbo Man's faithful Saber Tooth Tiger Booster. Where's your Christmas spirit? That's better. So maybe that's what Christmas feels like for you. Right, I, I guess I'm trying to think about like the toy that everyone wanted in my left, and now it's like a PlayStation. But like, remember when like the Talking Elmo was a big deal? That I still never understood it, but that's okay. And I know this movie came out before Amazon really was functioning at full capacity, but I can't help but think how often we get stressed because we think if we'll just get this one thing, it will solve our Christmas dilemmas. What I find is that throughout the season, one of the realities that we come to know is this, that too often we live with an anxiety, a tension, a stress about what is next. Do you find yourself there ever? Someone raised a hand already in the room, right? Like, yes, I get it. But what if... What if what we don't recognize is that we don't really have control? We think that if we get the next thing, if we do this next event, if we participate in this particular way, what we'll find is this peace that we have been missing. But what we find over and over again is we're in a vicious cycle that repeats itself again and again, trying to find the good life. However we define the good life. It's the rat race that we all run in at some level, right? We just keep repeating things, hoping things will look different. But what we find is if we we think in our heads, if I could just take a nap or get a good night's sleep, I would be better tomorrow. Only for us to find out, after we took that nap and got a good night's sleep, we repeated the same behaviors and were stressed out again. Some of you are taking a nap already right now. It will not be sufficient, I promise. But what if, 
What if there's a sense of peace that we could have that was all-encompassing? The biblical word for this would be shalom, a kind of peace that can encompass our entire life. And so what Christmas does offer us is a different perspective on peace. All right, Jesus is known as the Prince of Peace, and he comes to us in a rather unlikely way as a child, an infant. God becomes flesh, and we know it as a phrase we use, Emmanuel, or God with us. However, God with us is not just seen in the birth of Jesus, or in the life of Jesus, or in the resurrection of Jesus. He's seen in all those ways. But what we find is God is also seen in the work of his spirit brought about through his son, Jesus. So what if, what if there was a more powerful way of peace? What if there was a way we could live in the midst of whatever the season, Christmas or otherwise, that we wouldn't have to be surrounded by this stress and anxiety and fear of the unknown and this lack of control? What if there was a way we could find hope in the midst of this that could so radically change our entire lives? The kind of peace that would change our perspective. And that ultimately is what the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand. In just a couple minutes, we'll be looking at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 to 10. But before we get there, I want to mention just something about the book of Hebrews. It's a fascinating book in the Bible, by the way, because um, Hebrews, we don't know who wrote it. I mean, you'll occasionally hear people attribute it to the Apostle Paul, but no one actually believes Paul really wrote the, wrote the book. And you're like, well, okay, that's fine, it's in the Bible. Why do I care who wrote it? Because here's how it works. When they put the canon of Scripture together, the way that things made the New Testament were this. Either it was written by an apostle, someone who's a witness to an apostle, or a letter of Paul. That was it. But the book of Hebrews is fascinating because it makes it into the canon of Scripture, not because of who wrote it, because no one knew who wrote it. They just kind of wrote Paul's name on there, just as a kind of a, we know we can slide it in this way, and no one really even believed it even then. But it was the quality of its content. How it was already circulated among the early churches, how what was written there was considered so good, so valuable, it could not be in the canon of Scripture. So it's a fascinating book in that way because the writer of Hebrews is trying to help us understand a few things. One, like, who is Jesus? How does Jesus relate to the priesthood of Israel? How not only does he relate to the priesthood, but the sacrificial system, the Old Testament law? And then the writer of Hebrews talks about this. There was this new covenant created. So what's the point of Hebrews? It's this, that we would be able to connect and then separate the Jewish religion from that of following Jesus. It's kind of a tall task for a small book in the New Testament. But it's kind of what we begin to see. See, what the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand is we're to look to Jesus, no other religious system or thought that came before, but only to him. That's where we find our hope and our peace. Where we begin to find the full picture of who God is. The Old Testament informs us at some level who God is, but it's the New Testament is Jesus Himself who reveals to us the full picture of who God is. And I know you're thinking, this is the Sunday before Christmas. Why are we not talking about the birth of Jesus? I want to talk about baby Jesus, not adult Jesus. Come Friday night. And we will talk about the birth of Jesus. We'll also talk about Disney and Andy Garcia and Christmas carols and a 2,000-year-old story. So you'll want to be there Friday night. We hope you'll be here 
for that story. We'll talk about the birth then. But here's what the writer of Hebrews says to us in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 to 10. To 10 he writes this. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them. And though they were offered in accordance with the law, then he said, Here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now I know some of you are still wondering why we're talking about Hebrews on Christmas morning, but I want to mention, or I'm sorry, Christmas Sunday before Christmas, the first line, therefore when Christ came into the world. Therefore when Christ came into the world, when Jesus came into the world, Advent is a season about expectation or arrival. It's about the coming, the waiting for, the longing for, and what we see in this text is when Jesus came. Here is what happened. It literally changed everything. It changed everything in such a way that we use a particular word, especially around the Christmas season. It's a word we should probably use all the time, but we really use it around Christmas time when we describe Jesus. We use this word, Emmanuel, or God with us, God in flesh, God incarnate, God near to us in ways that matter. See, the ancients believed in a way that gods existed, but they were this far-off reality. They were disconnected from humanity. They were not a part of the everyday life. And what Jesus says is this. There is a God who exists, who comes near to his people as his people for the sake of his people. Jesus is God in flesh. It's why I can never say this line too much. We can never say something about God that we can't say about Jesus. God did a new thing. He made it known who the deity himself was. Don't miss how powerful that is. And so before we get to these verses, the first four verses talk about something that's kind of helpful for us. They talk about the, the Old Testament law and, and how sacrifice worked. And so I would just say, here's a couple of phrases that might be helpful, right? The law is a shadow of what God has done through Jesus. It's not the full thing. In other words, sacrifice in the Old Testament was a pale view of worship of God. It was incomplete. It was not whole. It was not finished. So I'd say it this way. Without Christ... You cannot get beyond the shadows of God. Without Christ, God really is a far-off reality, a deity out there, a divine being that exists in the world and we feel disconnected from. But in Jesus, we begin to know and understand that God comes near to you and I. See, in the ancient world, um, in the Jewish world, sacrifices were offered annually. 
you would come and offer your sacrifices for your sins, and you would slaughter the animals at the temple. And unless we think that's just so crude and we can't imagine in a modern world we would do that, I'm with you. But it wasn't just Judaism that did that. It was every ancient religion. Because they recognized there was something disconnected from the way that they lived and the way they were probably supposed to live. Maybe you have felt that way as well. You know, there's things you have done or are doing that you go, ah, pretty sure I'm not created in the way to do this. This is not how I'm supposed to live. So these sacrifices were offered annually. And what the writer of Jeremiah 31 says, and this is what's being referenced in this text, is this, that you can bring all the sacrifices you want. I don't change your heart. Are these outward signs? They're not sufficient for us. And so um, what we find in this is the idea of how incomplete the law in general was, but the sacrificial system in particular was not sufficient for us to be in right relationship with God. For us to know the fullness of God's love. For us to know the intimate relationship that God desires with you and I. So in this text, the writer of Hebrews quotes Jesus, who's quoting from Psalm 40, verses 6 to 9, which is basically saying this. It's not about sacrifice. It's about obedience. It's not about your sacrifice, but it's about your obedience. And this is what Jesus modeled to the Father, was this relationship that was about obedient love, right? It wasn't that we just obey so we don't get in trouble. It's the idea that out of love for who my Father is, I will live in a particular way. And through that, God does this radically new thing. He invites us into this new covenant. That's right. the way the Old Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant, this new covenant, the centerpiece of this new covenant is the forgiveness of our sins. Because just like the ancients, it doesn't take much for us to recognize we probably live in ways that lead to brokenness if we continue down certain paths in our lives. And so Jesus offers us this invitation to relationship with the divine. This way in which we can be connected to God in a way that we never really have been. Because the sacrificial system was always this outward kind of thing. It was never sufficiently changing our heart, right? We do it every year. If it worked, we wouldn't keep doing it. We get this. I mean, how many of us kids, right, like we remember maybe going to church or church camp if you did that thing with your kid, and you went to the altar about 50 times because every time you had to get saved again. Um, Not that it didn't probably work the first time, but we probably hadn't really entered into relationship with God in a way that made sense in our minds. We didn't realize this was an ongoing thing for us. Not diminishing those moments, but we just kept doing it again and again. And what Jesus comes to say is, hey, listen, like, it can take You can be so changed that you can continue to live into this way of life that you don't have to keep going back to that altar. Now, we want confession and repentance to be a continual part of our life, but you can enter into a relationship that you don't have to worry about walking out of. You can walk into a relationship with God. And you can stay in a relationship. Now, we do believe you can choose to walk out of that relationship, but that's not what we're trying to look at today. We're trying to look at what does it look like to enter into this way of life where we follow Jesus with our whole heart, mind, soul, and life. And the sacrificial system never invited us into this. I know you're going, animal sacrifice, what are we talking about today? But maybe these words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 23 are helpful. The scene is this, Jesus talking to the religious leaders, and, and they're practicing all their religious 
their hearts are far from God. And so here's what Jesus says. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Don't miss this line. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So here's what he's saying here. Um, You're doing a good job of paying your tithe. That's a good thing. The problem is that's all you're doing. Your heart's not in the right place. So he doesn't say, oh, well, don't pay your tithe. Like, you don't need to do that. No, no, no. Do that. But don't forget, the other side of this is this, that your heart also needs to be right. It is not just a financial transaction with God, but it is about our whole being being laid bare and saying, God, you can have all of me, every aspect of my life. And this for us is a reminder that an outward sacrifice of our life is never enough. It's never all God wants. In fact, it's incomplete. It's a shadow. And so the question you and I have to wrestle with is this. Does God have our whole life? Are there aspects that we're holding back? We don't want to let go. We don't want him to have them because those are my things. And here's the reality. God wants to do such a, like a deep cleaning in our life. He wants to heal our memories and our imaginations He wants to give us this true restoration where we're recreated in the divine image of God. And what is the divine image of God? It's Jesus. He wants to recreate us in the very image of his son. And that's what we celebrate in this Christmas season. But the problem for us is that we have to let go of our old lives. That we don't get to hold on to them. It's why we talk about in this conversation Jesus and Nicodemus must be born again. This is the whole idea that we can't be who we have been. And so these words really apply to the Old Testament, but I think they're applicable to you and I. And here's what it says. The old system itself pointed forward to the new, declaring itself ultimately redundant. Right? So the old system, the sacrificial system, wasn't bad, but there was a better one that had replaced it. And so I'd say this life, this way that might be helpful for you and I to think about our own lives Maybe your old life isn't bad. But maybe God has a better one for you. Right? Your old life may not even be bad, but God may have something better for you if you'll just lean in and trust him with it. Maybe I can say it this way. How often do you and I do the same thing again and again and again, and we go, ah, oh, I can't believe I didn't do a different behavior, right? Maybe it's um, New Year's resolutions that you don't keep. We're getting close to that time of year where people make New Year's resolutions, and then... Like by February, they've quit them. I get how that works. We, they, don't, they don't last, right? If I were to ask you your New Year's resolutions last year, a few of you go, hey, I kept that. Most of you go, oh, I don't want to talk about that. Maybe it's your anger. You're just angry all the time. Every little thing sets you off. Every little thing feels like a slight. You feel like you're a victim. You feel like everyone's against you. You're just so angry all the time. Maybe it's the way you treat your coworkers or employees or employer. This attitude that exists, you're like, I know I shouldn't be like this, but I am. Maybe it's the way you treat your spouse or your kids or your neighbors. Maybe it's what's going on in your heart. On and on the list goes. 
right? We, we've all used this phrase, this joke, right? Um, the definition of insanity is to do the same thing again and again and expect a different result, right? We've all heard that, and there's some truth to that. I don't, I don't want to diminish that, but maybe, um, maybe it's not insanity. Maybe it's the fear of what could be. Maybe it's the uncertainty of what might happen if, if we truly let God have our whole self. Maybe we live with restlessness or lack of control or deep anxiety or fear or uncertainty about the future. Maybe we live with these things because we've never truly trusted God with all of them. Now, I want to be clear because so, if you hear this wrongly, you hear me say that all anxiety is solved by just praying and trusting God with your whole life. Some of us need medication and counseling, and that's a good thing. So don't hear me say that. But I will say, for many of us, we live with this sense of weight and stress and anxiety that is self-induced if we were to just trust God with our whole life, our past, our present, and our future. And what if that would somehow come through the peace of knowing Jesus, the one who is called the Prince of Peace? What if the resurrection of Jesus not only changed everything, but could really change us? What if you and I could learn to live with this peace? What if the writer of Hebrews, who's quoting from Jeremiah 31, this line, I will remember their sins no more. What if our sins were no longer remembered by God in such a way that you and I could embrace this kind of peace? We don't need annual sacrifices to remind us of our sins We need a reminder of God's love and his grace and his forgiveness and that our sins no longer have to define our lives. Maybe this is helpful. Our past doesn't have to define our present or our future. We do not have to live in cycles where we repeat the same behaviors We don't have to live in cycles where we find ourselves in the same vicious cycles seeking the good life. What we might begin to find is God invites us to the good life and it's found in his son Jesus. I love this quote done with this passage. According to this passage, the Christmas story is linked to the accomplishment of the will of God. Jesus is the model of committed obedience to God. He entered the world in fulfillment of the prophetic scriptures to do the will of God and to secure for us a relationship with God that is unparalleled in its intimacy. Jesus is the gift that brings peace. Will you and I receive that gift? And our response is obedience. And what is obedience? It's just trusting our whole life to him. We live in that way where we say this, that, that our gift back is this, that we would begin to see with his eyes, that we would have perspective in the world in which we live, that we begin to see people as divine image bearers of God. Did you catch that? That means every person on the face of the earth who would see is created in the image of God, and it might shape how we actually lived. And in this line, that we would be willing to give our whole self to be sanctified by the work of This is what he offers us through the forgiveness of our sins. I'm going to read that last line again. We have been made holy. It's the last line in the text from today. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You and I cannot make ourselves holy. 
what the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand is God has done the work, and in fact, he's so done the work that you and I can begin to have moments of peace and moments that used to be so filled with anxiety and fear. And the peace that surpasses all understanding that Paul writes about you and I can come to know. Um, I, I think I've told this story before, but it, I'm always reminded uh, this time of year, because it would have been in November, um, in November before we came here. Um, I was in a, a district meeting as a part of the church, and um, I got this text message from my wife that said, hey, Isaac's breathing kind of funny. I'm taking him to the ER. And, and so I said, hey, I got, I got to leave. My son's going to the ER. And, and we got to the ER, and, um, you know, I just thought it was like the croup kind of thing he got all the time. It was no big deal. And... And uh, so Gracie would have been a baby, so Isaac was two and a half years old. And I didn't think much about it. I just thought this is one more ER visit we've got to pay for, um, that we don't really need to be here. That was my mindset. I didn't say it to my wife. I just thought it in my head. And, um, and then the ER doctor um, said some Katie went home to feed the baby, and, and he said, hey, um, we need to take him to a children's hospital, and Chicago has three really good ones. Which one do you want? I thought, well, let's just go to the closest one. They're all pretty good. And so we went to the University of Chicago, and I'm like, oh, great. Um, and, and so what he says, basically, his, his, uh, his esophagus is like bent like a straw. Oh, that doesn't sound good. Um, and it's like, well, okay. And so he goes, I don't really know what to do with it, and so I don't feel comp- confident us taking care of him, so we want to send him somewhere he should be. So I'm thinking, okay, let's, and this, so we're going to send him an ambulance. One of you can ride. And so I called Katie and said, hey, you probably want to come back. You can ride with him. I'll, I'll drive up and follow. And then I got off the phone with Katie, and a couple minutes later, he comes back and he goes, hey, um, we're actually going to airlift him. We're, we're not going to use an ambulance. We're going to use a helicopter. And no one can ride with him. Oh, okay. So I call Katie again. I was like, hey, um, you can't go with him. He's going to go in a helicopter. But I would still hurry here. So about 30 minutes later, they had him all strapped on this gurney, and this, we saw the picture somewhere of this little two-and-a-half-year-old with his pacifier in and his blankie tucked in, strapped into the gurney as they're going to load him onto the helicopter. To tell you I wasn't scared would be a lie. In fact, I, I didn't want Katie to know how scared I really was, so we had two, two different cars at the hospital. We were going to drive home and then take one car to the hospital in Chicago, which was 40 miles away, and um, I cried from the hospital to the interstate, sobbed. And I said, God, I've prayed this prayer since he was a little kid. I've prayed this prayer again and again. I said, he's yours, not mine. But it's really hard for me to pray that right now. So we get home, we get to the hospital. The next morning, um, at this point, her parents came that night. My parents went to our house to take care of Gracie. And then the next day, our family slipped, right? So my dad comes, and we're, we're sitting in the the first floor of the hospital. And I still know what's going on, and I had heard, as I walked through the teaching hospitals, so you have all the, the student doctors and nurses, and, and you can hear them talking in the hallway outside our son's room, and they don't know I'm dad, and, and they're like, oh, yeah, we think he's cancer, he's a swollen thymus. I'm like, I didn't know what a thymus was, but it's swollen, I think it's cancerous, I think it could be a tumor, and I'm like, I, I don't know what this means. So, I mean, this kid's two and a half, I'm, I'm pretty scared. And, and I can't really explain it, but I can tell you, I was sitting in the coffee shop on the first floor with my dad, I'll probably tear up again telling this, this part of the story. But I had a sense of peace, not that he was necessarily going to be okay, because I didn't know that. 
But I said, Dad, I, I have said Jesus is Lord when times are good and when times are bad. And I still believe it today. And I didn't know what was going to happen, but I will tell you this. There was a sense of peace in that moment that I had never experienced. Now, by the end of the day, we still know anything. And, of course, we picked a hospital where the specialist was on a ski trip in Colorado. Um, and she wasn't back until Monday. And, and by Monday, she comes in, looks at stuff, and she goes, he's fine. This is normal. Send him home. All right. I mean, okay. This is a like, really expensive three-day trip. Um, but I say this story not to say, hey, God healed my son. Or, and God may very well have. But I tell a story to talk about peace, because I could tell you the same story. The woman I was on staff with for a number of years in Illinois um, has lost one son and will be losing a second son in the next couple of years. It's a 100% fatal disease her kids have had. So did God save my kid and not save hers? I, I, don't, I don't believe that. But what I do believe is this, that God is present with us. That God offers a sense of peace that doesn't make sense in the moment. And what we come to find out is the more we trust him with our lives, the more his peace makes more sense in the midst of our lives. And so how do we respond to this? Our call is to follow Jesus. Jesus came voluntarily, obediently, self-sacrificially. Because he loves us. He wants us to know the depth of his Father's love. And he invites us to live this same way. And the invitation for you and I is just this, to simply follow him. To trust our whole mind, heart, soul, and being to him. And so my question for you and I is this, the same one I asked earlier. Does God have all of you? Are there parts of your life that you have not surrendered to him? Because those are mine. This is mine. I I work for this. This is my, this is, this is my, God, you can have all my life, but you can't have my kids. God, you can have all my life, but you can't have my, my wallet. God, you can have all my life, but you can't have my career. God, you can have all my life, but you can't have this. Whatever this is, the question remains, have you and I surrendered our whole selves to him? And if we will, if we're willing to live in that way, what we might find is this. As we follow Jesus, we find it is the life of God with us. We pray with me. Father, we come before you this morning. and We recognize we come from different walks of life and backgrounds and circumstances. And today we're left with this singular question. Do you have all of us? May we live in such a way where we fully surrender our whole selves so that these words of the writer's of Hebrews are true in our life, that we have been sanctified once and for all, that you would do this work in us because of the work of your Son. That we believe in a God who is not some far-off reality, but is present with us in such a way that we can be so radically changed. I say, God, whatever it is that we might be holding back, whatever it is that we have not surrendered, Whatever it is that keeps us from knowing the peace that surpasses all understanding, would you help us to live into your grace and love and mercy?
May we recognize that you offer us the forgiveness for our sins, that you invite us into this new covenant, this new way of life, in which we can know life in the present and life for eternity. And may we choose you this day. So may it be true that we truly do follow Jesus, and you have all of us. So we open our eyes and our ears so we might become more and more the unique people of God. And we pray all of these things in your son Jesus' name.